Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Archives podcast. I am the curator and host for tonight's episode, Nicole Clark. I wanted to start off by letting you know something about tonight's episode. This is our first official episode, and it features one of the more disturbing stories from the Hidden Archives. I figured, in light of the official premiere of the Hidden Archives podcast being on Halloween 2019, it was only fitting that we get off on the right foot, so to speak. The next episode will be the one that officially invites you into the realm of the archives. It will explain the theme of the podcast and how it got its name. Expect that episode shortly after this one. However, the halls of the archives are always changing and are therefore subject to the whims of the curators. To quote my old friend Andy, if you've come this far, perhaps you're willing to go a little bit further. That being said, this is your warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. This is not for the faint of heart. Consider this very real warning a professional courtesy. Now for our foray into the archives. I present to you our most recent find from the archives, a tale titled The Talisman. In this story, we are introduced to a young man who recollects his college days. Aside from the mundane studying and working to survive at his local liquor store, this particular individual has had some experiences that are quite out of the ordinary. Have you ever kept a talisman, something like a memento, to prove that something really happened the way you remember it? You know, just some sort of physical proof, something tangible and real, that you can refer to when you aren't sure your own mind isn't betraying you. I don't know. Perhaps I'm unique or weird because I do. What I have is a 6 and 19 30 seconds of an inch long piece of paper that is two and a half inches wide. It proves to me that what I went through, that what I witnessed, was real. I don't consider it a prized possession or even something of great sentimental value. I actually consider it a physical reminder of a curse that was unwittingly and unwillingly placed upon me. So what is this fibrous talisman of evil, you ask? Simple. It's a strip of printed paper from an electronic adding machine. Not to bore you with details or anything, but I used to work at a liquor store. I was a fairly young college student just trying to make ends meet. Yeah, it was boring at times and had me working until about midnight quite often, but it helped pay for books and school supplies. Plus, it was close to the apartment I lived in. This was particularly important because I'd relocated to Colorado, far from the support of my family in California, so that I could study theoretical physics in the best school that I could afford. What this all boiled down to is the simple fact that I had very little money to spend on gas to get to work and school, so I would often walk to and from work. Tedious, I know. Anyway, at the point that this story takes place, I'd been living, working, and studying in Colorado for about mm, three years. I was finally making progress in my degree, and I'd started to build something that resembled a social life. For an awkward nerd in a new state, I consider the latter part to be quite the accomplishment. Most of my social life consisted of sharing a few beers after work with the people who worked at the sushi restaurant two doors down from the liquor store where I worked. We all got off work at about midnight and found it both relaxing and stimulating to throw back a few brews at the end of the workday. I made some good friends in that group, 
several of whom actually attended my wedding a few years later. But this isn't a story about friendship, exactly. Anyway, one night, while drinking and shooting the shit behind the business row, as was our custom, my friends at the sushi restaurant told me that they all sincerely believed that the restaurant was haunted. They said that weird things would happen. Lights would turn on and off, curtains and tablecloths would ripple and blow without the slightest hint of a breeze from an open door or air conditioner, and objects would often shift before their eyes, acted upon by an unseen force. Okay, I guess all that sounds spooky as hell in a hokey and slightly generic way, but they all confirmed that they witnessed these things. I remained skeptical. I was a budding physicist, after all. There had to be an explanation. And I voiced this. But they swore up and down that they were skeptical too, until they saw it and came up with no rational explanation. My best friend of the group was a Filipino chef who was a descendant of an indigenous Filipino tribal medicine man, or witch doctor. He told me that several waitresses at the sushi restaurant had committed suicide. Two at their own homes, one at the restaurant itself. He also said that one girl was suspected of being murdered and another was found dead under mysterious circumstances, all for a grand total of five dead women. According to him, it was their ghost that haunted the restaurant. No one can deny that that is a lot of death surrounding one business, especially one that had only been open for about five years at that point, one girl for each and every year. All of that is very tragic, obviously, but I remained unconvinced. Hauntings weren't real. I knew that. I did. But now? Well, now I'm just not sure. You see, I had my own experience a few months later. Like I said, my work closed late. On weekdays, like the day this took place, we were open an hour later than the sushi restaurant. My friends were already gone by the time I would have gotten off, so my store was literally the last business on the whole row of shops to close. On that particular night, I hadn't had any customers in the last hour or so before closing. No idle chatter of shoppers, no slap of cooler doors opening and closing, no ring of the bell from the door. I only had the classic rock music station that the owners insisted we keep on played over the satellite TV. The boss said that rock music makes people want to drink. So at least I had something to drown out the din of my own despair. But finally, and it couldn't come soon enough, it was closing time. I saw the clock on the cash register hit 11.55pm. Time to do a final walk to make sure every customer had left already, and then I could lock up. No one had come in in over an hour, but the security cameras were rolling and the boss would often tap in from home to make sure we were following protocol. So I did my walk, looking up and down every aisle, and announced that the store was closing. Satisfied that I had done my job and that no one was in the store, I locked the front door, turned off the lights, and returned to my register to count out my drawer. The boss demanded that we do this last part with the cameras up, all ten displayed on a grid on the desktop monitor, so that we would be sure the store was empty. With the walk, I always thought that was dumb. But again, I knew the boss might be watching, and I didn't want to be caught with my monitor down, so to speak. Well, at least I thought it was dumb until that night.
As I was counting out my drawer, I constantly and casually referred to the security cameras. That night, I saw something. On camera 9, I could clearly see a man walking down the rum aisle. I watched his whole walk from the middle of the aisle, where I first spotted him, to the end of the aisle. He was just about as tall as the shelf, which is probably why I couldn't see him from the register, and he wore cowboy boots, blue jeans, and a flannel shirt. He was a shorter balding man that was fairly unassuming, so I didn't think much of it. All I thought was, fuck, how could I miss a customer on my final check? He must have been standing at the end of the aisle. But why didn't he respond when I called out that the store was closing? Could he be deaf? We did have a large deaf community in my town, so it wasn't impossible. I decided to stash the money I was counting under the counter, so as to be out of sight just in case, while I went to confront the customer. I took one last look at the camera monitor to get a fix on his location. He was at the end of the rum aisle, looking at the cooler doors, just standing and staring. Perfect. I, once again, walked around the checkout counter shouting, Store's closed! I can take you at the counter if you're quick! As I walked down the rum aisle to confront him, we had a parabolic mirror, you know, one of those curved ones that kind of distorts everything, that hung at the corner of the store. This showed the camera's blind spots, so I kept an eye on him in this mirror as I approached. He remained still. Fortunately, my college minor was in American Sign Language, so I was prepared to sign with him if he was deaf. But, as I got to the end of the aisle, I saw him, in the parabolic mirror again, walking quickly in front of the beer cooler doors. He was walking away from me, so I quickened my pace to meet him. Come on, dude, I said. The lights are off. We're closed. In the mirror, I saw him crouch down behind a beer display to examine it. I rushed over to meet him, but when I got there, I was alone. I looked at the mirror. There he was, just kneeling down and looking at the beer display. I tore my eyes from the mirror to look at the display itself. No one. Back to the mirror. There he is. I reached my hand to his shoulder as I saw it reflected. Just as I was about to touch him, he bolted. I saw him in the mirror walking briskly down the first aisle, but when I turned to face him, there was nothing. I started to jog down the aisle, every couple of steps looking over my shoulder into the mirror. I saw him in the mirror walking briskly down the first aisle, but when I turned to face him, there was nothing. I started to jog down the aisle, every couple of steps looking over my shoulder into the mirror to follow him, and then I saw him leave through the closed and locked front door. He was gone. No sound of footsteps, no door chime, just gone. I must be way too damn tired, I thought. That didn't just happen. I went back and finished counting out my drawer. When I had finished that, I was to take all the cash, cash drawers, and change and put it into the walk-in beer cooler. We didn't have a safe, only a fake beer box that everything was supposed to fit in. My normal routine at this point was to prop the cooler door open with another empty beer box so that I could just walk in, hands laden with cash register drawers and deposit money. Otherwise, I would have to set everything down, heave the heavy door open, and try to brace it with my foot while I picked everything back up to carry it into the cooler. 
The door itself was designed to be locked and had a heavy lock that could be turned by hand from the inside in case of an emergency. The lock was always kept horizontal, pointing away from the door jamb. To lock it, one would have to rotate it one click down so that it would point at the floor, and then rotate it once more by another 90 degrees so that it clicked into place against the door frame. These clicks, when rotating the lock, required a bit of force. It was designed to be unable to accidentally lock on its own. It could even be locked with the door open so that the door would rest with the lock arm against the outside of the door frame, but we weren't allowed to use this method to keep the door open as it would damage the door frame when it would swing closed. With the door propped open by the beer box, I carried the drawers and deposit into the cooler, stepping over the box holding the door as I did this. The fake box for the money was all the way at the end of the cooler, so it was a short walk to get there. About halfway there, I heard the box holding the door slide away and the door slammed closed. Fine. I probably accidentally kicked the box as I stepped over it to enter. No big deal. I would just put the deposit away as I didn't need the door held open anymore anyway. However, as I was placing everything in the fake beer box, I heard a loud click. The door lock had, presumably, moved into its vertical position pointing at the floor. I stood up slowly and looked at the door. The lock was actually pointing up. Impossible for me to have accidentally done that. Impossible for gravity to do it if the click mechanism failed. If anything, if I accidentally brushed it while entering, it would have to be pointing down. As I stared at the half-locked door, I saw the lock rotate once more to the locked position. I knew I wasn't trapped. If worse came to worse, I could move six packs of beer off one of the bottom shelves and crawl through one of the other glass doors as those didn't lock. I knew this, but still, what the actual fuck just happened? If someone was there on the outside with a key, they couldn't turn the lock upwards. It didn't work that way. Deciding to investigate so that I would know my options to escape, I walked briskly over to the door. I tried rotating the lock by hand. No luck. It was actually locked. There was a red emergency release button next to the lock on the door. I held it and tried again. This time, I was free. The lock freely turned by hand as I held the button, though the characteristic click was still there. So I exited the cooler being actually a bit unnerved by the unexplainable situation. I just told myself it was late, I was tired, and I'd figure it out in the morning. However, as I walked through the door leaving it to swing shut behind me so I could proceed to the office to finish actually closing up, I heard the door catch on something. The damn lock was again in its locked position and had caught the door on the frame, keeping the door from closing. This was impossible. This was not happening. I turned back to rectify it so that the door would close, but before I could even reach for the door, the lock turned again and the door closed itself. Then, from my side, I could hear another distinct click. The door was either locked from the inside or the lock was where it should be. I pulled on it to find out but it didn't budge. At this point, I decided that the ghostly customer from earlier was still in the store and that he had sneaked into the cooler somehow, likely intent on stealing the money that I had just dropped in there. I had to try and stop this from happening. I ran around the cooler, looking through all the glass doors to see what might be inside, but I couldn't see anything. Then from halfway across the store, I heard the cooler door open again and close. 
I ran to stop whoever was coming out, but when I got there, I found no one. One more sweep of this fucking place and I'm fucking done, I thought to myself as I brought the cameras up on the monitor in the office. The cameras finally loaded. What I saw, however, was not a person, nor did I see the store in the pristine condition I had left it in. Every fucking glass cooler door, all 26 goddamn doors that swing closed on their own when someone walks away after selecting a product, every goddamn door was slowly opening in unison as I watched the cameras. Then, the cameras closed out. They just went blank for a second or two, and then the feed came back online. When it did, every door was closed. Why didn't I just leave at this point? Well, I had a job to do. Shitty minimum wage was all I got, but it was also all I had. I'd just work day shifts after this, if I ever got out of there. The next thing I had to do was check to make sure that the money was still in the cooler. I wasn't going to count it, just visually verify that it was there. Back into the cooler I went. I barged through the door, walked up to the fake beer box, opened it, and there it all was. Awesome. I turned to exit. The lock on the door started flipping up and down repeatedly. I didn't care. If someone was fucking with me, they were about to get a face full of cooler door steel. I threw the door open, but no one was there again. I still didn't care. I just kept walking to the office and let the door shut behind me. In the office, I sat down behind the desk. I just had to add up all the check purchases for the day, and then I could leave after filling out a deposit form. So I turned on the electronic adding machine and got to work. Most of the check purchases were small, and there weren't very many, so it should have been quick. However, it took me four or five checks to even break $100 on the adding machine. When I finally did, it was because of one check that was for over $125. This set the final total to $216 even. Since I was a physics major with plenty of mathematics in my background, I recognized this number right away. It was the cube of six. That is to say it is six times six times six. The adding machine immediately printed this number in red. The red color meant it was negative. Aside from meaning that I had to redo my calculations and start over because of the negative number, it was a bit ominous to see negative 216 printed out in blood red. I unplugged the adding machine to reset it. When I plugged it back in, it somehow glitched. Now without input or prompt, it just started printing 66.6 over and over and over again. All negative, all in blood red. It printed this 12 times before I ripped the plug out. I thought it would go on forever if I didn't. With the plug out, the screen once again went black and the printing ceased. I just left it like that and sat there to process whatever in the hell was going on that night. But it wasn't over yet. I had my eyes closed when I heard the adding machine print one more line. I looked over to it. With the plug out, I could see the screen lit up bright green. Negative 66.6. I picked up the adding machine and rolled it around in my hands. There had to be a battery pack, but there wasn't. It was just on with no power source. I dropped it on the desk. It stayed on, and I looked at the printout. At the top of the printout were the original calculations I had done until it reached negative 216. 
I checked all the signs to make sure I was adding correctly. I had, but the number was inexplicably negative. Below the negative 216 was the number negative 66.6, printed a grand total of 13 times in bright, terrifying, sanguine red. I ripped the paper from the machine, got up, turned the remaining lights off, and just walked the fuck out of there. So, that is where I got my talisman. I kept the adding machine printout so that I could be sure of what actually happened. The next day, I got a phone call from my boss asking why I had left early and why I hadn't done the check deposit. I told him that I hadn't left early. My time punch would prove it. I also told him to check the cameras from the night before and that that would, one, prove I was there the whole time, and two, it would explain everything else. Of course, he said he had already checked the cameras and there was more that I needed to explain. He gave me the following timeline. 11.32 p.m. Male customer can be seen wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt, standing near the entrance staring at me as I had my back turned while stocking the shelves behind the checkout counter. Boss asked why I hadn't turned to greet the customer. I said I didn't hear the door or bell, and asked when the fuck the guy came in. At this point, the timeline backtracks a few minutes. 11.30 p.m. I can be seen on monitors opening the box of shooter liqueur bottles that I am about to start stocking. Camera feed abruptly cuts out. Boss blames this on a power surge. 11.31 p.m. Camera feed comes back online. At this point, the man in flannel can be seen standing in front of the entrance watching me with my back turned. This continues for the next six minutes as I stock and organize the shelves behind the counter. 11.37 p.m. I turn to face the store, having completed the previous task. As I turn, the man in flannel walks briskly, just out of my line of sight, towards the rum aisle. He stops here facing the end of the aisle, not looking at the shelves. 11.39 p.m. Man in flannel is still in the rum aisle. He hasn't moved, but now he turns towards the register seeming to stare at me through the bottles on the top shelf. I remain unaware. This continues for 16 minutes. 11.55 p.m. I start closing procedures. I begin my walk by looking down each aisle, starting with the mixers, then vodka, and after that, the rum aisle. 11.56 p.m. Just as I make it to the rum aisle, I turn to look down it. The cameras cut out again. Cameras remain offline for the next 13 minutes. 12.09 AM. Cameras are back online. At this point, I should be in the cooler, securing the deposit. The cooler door can be seen propped open by a beer box. However, the man in flannel can be seen standing next to me on another camera as we both stare at the big flat screen television mounted above the beer cooler the same TV that provides the classic rock music. Customer and I remain like this for four minutes. 12.13 AM. Cameras cut out again, but only for a second. Another power surge. When they come back up, the man in flannel is gone, but I can be seen walking backwards around the store with my head down. This continues for three more minutes. 
Boss asks me who the man was and if I'm using drugs. 12.16 a.m. Another power surge and the cameras remain offline for 10 minutes. 12.26 a.m. On the exterior camera in front of the store, five female figures can be seen approaching the entrance. The camera feed abruptly cuts when one of the figures reaches for the front door. 12.28 a.m. Six figures, five female, one male, can be seen on various cameras standing still at various points inside the store, all reaching for the cooler doors. This appears to be a still frame capture except for the fact that each figure can be seen standing with a puddle at their feet that seems to gradually get bigger the longer they stand. 12.33 a.m. Camera feed cuts except for both exterior cameras. Feed comes back online showing the same 12.33 a.m. timestamp, but all figures have vanished. 12.34 a.m. On the exterior camera behind the store, I can be seen holding a strip of paper in my right hand as I turn to lock the door with my left hand. I get in my car and I leave. Of course, I denied all of this except for the last part where I left with a strip of paper at 12.34 a.m. My boss asked what the paper was. I told him it was an adding machine receipt. He didn't believe me and suggested on penalty of termination if I didn't comply to take a drug test. I did, of course, obey, and of course, the drug test came back clean. I told my boss after the results of the clean drug test that someone must have been fucking with the cameras. He agreed it was possible, it was right before April, and he deduced that it was one of our other employees playing an early April Fool's Day prank, though he couldn't figure out how. I also asked if I could switch to day shifts, which he agreed to, as he thought that, if nothing else, I was just too tired the night all of this happened, and perhaps I was sleepwalking or something like that. I didn't bother to correct him. I kept working there for another two years. In that time, I never took another closing shift where I would be alone. Also, at different points during the next two years, weird things continued to happen. For example, one day, two wine bottles simultaneously ejected their own corks in the middle of the day. They were not carbonated or bubbly wines either, not like champagne or Moscato di Asti, just some sort of red wine. Later on that same week, two more bottles, these in storage however, did the same thing. The final thing of note happened about a month before I quit for good. You could even say that this was one of the catalysts that led to me leaving there. What happened was a champagne bottle fell off the bottom shelf and exploded right as a customer was walking by. One of the shards of glass from the bottle severed an artery in the customer's leg. She did not survive. I witnessed all of these events firsthand. You might say that clearly all of this is just fantasy. Or maybe things aren't exactly as I remember them. Or that there's an explanation for everything. I don't know. Maybe you're right. What I do know is that there are newspaper articles about the final thing. They had to do a full investigation because someone fucking died. Ruled an accident, of course. Even though the cameras didn't show the customer anywhere near the bottle when it fell off the shelf, they still said she must have accidentally bumped it or knocked it off. 
and about that first night, the night all of this is about, call bullshit all you want, but I have the paper that proves it. At least, it does to me. Well, that certainly was interesting. Perhaps we should all reconsider that late night beer run? If you are wondering what happened to the protagonist of that story after quitting his job at the liquor store, you should know that he went on to better things. That's right, he now works at a haunted bar instead. I hope that you join us next time for another story curated from the Hidden Archives. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex animo, ex tempus, in archivum.